Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach tip of the day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you know, it's always a pleasure to have back guests that have been on the show before. They bring such a wealth of knowledge that we ask them back. And our next guest is no exception, Maury Schechtman. And he's joining us from Fifth Wave Leadership in Kalispell, Montana. And Maury is a, a sought-after speaker. He talks about uh, the end of mediocrity and creating a meritocracy. And he's got a couple books out. One is called Working Without a Net. And the other one is called Fifth Wave Leadership. And it's always a pleasure to have Maury on the show. Maury, welcome back. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, glad to be back, Bill. Good to talk to you again. Hey, Maury, uh, it's been uh, several weeks since you were on last. What's been happening? What have you been up to? I've been doing a lot of my retainer consulting with high-growth companies. I'm doing some interesting work with uh, uh, an area that I originally came out of and I'm now working with, and that's healthcare, which is booming uh, and being run more like a business than ever before. Uh, it's been fascinating to see that transition as people get the idea that they have to run everything like a business, including healthcare provision. Uh, so it's been, been interesting work working on a, another book. Uh, called The End of Mediocrity, uh, and seeing that uh, that's probably one of the biggest challenges that companies have now because information has made mediocrity a greater liability than ever before. You just can't afford to have average people around anymore. They will kill your business. And you talk yeah. about uh, that what you need to do is to create a meritocracy out of that. And of course, we talked about that in the past, but uh, give our listeners a sense of how they moved from mediocrity to a meritocracy. Well, the first thing they have to do is decide that average performers have to either dramatically up their game or they need to leave. That what we have done over the years is accept average as the norm. Um, that's essentially what it means, uh, and we've been able to get away with that for a long time. Information no longer makes that viable because it kicks up competition so fiercely that you can't have people who just do the job at an average level. You'll be surpassed by top performers, and top performers are, are people who take risks, who give people feedback all the time, and are very open to change. And that doesn't describe a lot of the workforce that we currently have. So they need to start making some changes or they need to find somewhere else to work, which is going to be harder and harder for average people to do. Um, you know, there's a great book out by Tyler Cowan that average is over. And he makes the point from an economic point of view that, uh, that the average performer will just kill you, uh, that they, they're just a drain on resources. So first you have to decide uh, in terms of who you want to work with in your company, who are the people open to constant change, absolutely constant change, and who will take the risks of telling you what's really going on instead of holding, you know, keeping their mouth shut 
to hold on to their jobs. And wrapped all around that is is all kinds of technology to both measure the performance and the efficiency of existing employees and weed out the ones that aren't strong, but also uh, when you're onboarding someone, there's so much technology that I would call human engineering technology that really uh, takes mm-hmm. away the the you know it's we're going to figure out what what you're made up of and and whether you're a performer. Do you see a lot of people using that technology to identify identify what a keep a top performer looks like and then hire to that those characteristics? Uh, yeah, I do, Bill. Uh, but you raise a fascinating point. Too many business owners get seduced by the idea of analytics. You know, it's a real uh, real word that everyone likes using these days, a hot word. The problem is that there are two technologies now in business. One is practical, uh, and it's analytics, that taking every form of data, integrating them, and making decisions on technical performance. That's great. That's half the picture. The other half is people technology, and that is what characteristics are you looking for in people that you can be assured they're going to fit into your culture and, in fact, challenge your culture and then raise the bar. Uh, That's been neglected by others in particular, and they get so enamored of analytics that they think that's the whole story. So they end up hiring bright, technically astute people who nobody can work with. And then they get very disillusioned and say, wait a minute, I, this guy met all the analytics that we were looking for, but nobody can stand working with them. So we invest a lot of money now, and we have to go looking again. So it's really important to keep in mind there is a people technology. That, that is, we know the kind of people who will work in this business climate and the one in the future. And we need to nail down the characteristics like risk-taking. And understand what I mean by risk-taking is telling the truth 100% of the time to everybody in your environment. Risk-taking is not putting a lot of money at stake. It's not jumping off of buildings or climbing Mount Everest. The highest risk we take is to level with people all the time. Tell them what they need to hear not what they want to hear. That's that's a mouthful. That's huge. That's huge, Maury. That's great yeah. information. And you know, when I think mm-hmm. about it, I, in my own practice, I've seen several instances where people say, "This is going to be our successor. This is going to be our new president. We're going to step aside and let him run things." And then six months later, twelve months later, they're saying, uh, "It's not going well." Why? Because Although, right. like you said, they're technically they're they're good with vendors, they're horrible with our employees. That we can't yeah, program exactly. in that caring, and and so the 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 owners are saying, but well, now we're back, you know, trying to uh, uh, massage the employees. How do we program in uh, caring into someone? And that's very difficult to do. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. It, it's hard to fundamentally change people. Uh, it, it reminds me, the first thing it said reminds me of a uh, CEO I worked with once who fell in love with uh, uh, every senior executive he hired uh, who had certain analytic characteristics. And then within literally weeks, he fell out of love with them real fast. So you get the hero to zero phenomenon, which I've seen a lot in my work with companies where people are enamored with a person, they're the best thing they've ever hired, 
And in as short as a couple of weeks, they're a nightmare for the company uh, because they didn't they didn't really press on the personal characteristics. And that brings up the whole area of recruiting. Recruiting now in American business is a disaster area. Okay, we're recruiting for the 1970s. We are not recruiting for 2015. Okay, we're doing the, asking the same stupid questions getting the same stupid responses, and going through a checklist of questions, which if you do that, you have just wasted everybody's time. And the second point is a recruiting interview is not meant to be comfortable. It's meant to be very uncomfortable. If you don't make the candidate uncomfortable, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. So at the heart of a lot of what businesses are challenged by now is their recruiting methodology, particularly the interview, is absolutely archaic. It does not fit our times. I'm amazed by, by, you know, by a number of people who say, that was a great, great interview, and everybody felt good about it. Well, if everybody felt good about it, you blew it. You did a lousy <laughs> interview. You know? If, if, you were, if you were to wave your your consulting wand over the, over the process, what would you say needs to change in general and, and what's missing there? Okay, good, good question. Uh, a couple of things need to change, one of which is the whole uh, concept of the interview needs to be altered from a Q&A session to building a relationship quickly and deeply, seeing if the candidate's capable of, of doing that. So this is not going through a checklist of questions, the same stupid questions we traditionally ask. Like, I don't really care where you went to school. I don't care what your grade point was. Uh, I don't care what activities you were involved in. That's absolutely uh, irrelevant to me. Uh, I don't even care how many jobs you've had before. What I want to know is, can you connect with me, the interviewer, within minutes and build a deep relationship? And can you absolutely engage in a dialogue, not just answer prepared questions. So one is changing the whole point of the interview is to see, can you build a relationship with this man or woman quickly? Do they open up or do they just give you conversation killer answers to questions where there's nowhere to go from there? Uh, and the second thing is you got to change the, uh, the questions that you ask. And, you know, it doesn't matter that you ask a lot of questions. You just need to ask two or three questions that really challenge the candidate at a gut level. So let, let me give you an example. We teach our clients to ask, always ask these two questions if they ask nothing else. Number one, up to today's date, what have been the two most stressful experiences in your life? Right, Follow-up questions are, why were they stressful? Uh, what did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about the rest of the world? Right. Question number two. Up to today's date, what have been the two greatest losses in your life? Personal or professional? Doesn't matter. Same follow-up questions. Why were they losses? What did you, you learn from it? Why are we asking those questions? Number one, because no one's prepared to answer them. No one's done that. No one has their script in front of them answering those questions, which is absolutely essential in the interview. Don't ask people questions that they've, they've answered a hundred times before. Secondly, that will tell you right away a couple of things. Uh, is, does a person have a value system? You create your values in the crucible of loss and stress. 
not in the crucible of gain and, and comfort. They, uh, so secondly, are they learners? Do they learn from life experience, or do they have the same experience over and over again and learn nothing? So that that gives you know, hopefully it'll give you some sense of very different interaction. I want to push this candidate. You know, I'm amazed at the number of people who I ask, are you hiring this person to do easy work or difficult work? Oh, no, no, work around here is difficult. It's challenging. Then why would you have an easy interview? It makes no sense at all. So hiring you to do difficult work, I want to see how you deal with a difficult interview. Because if you can't do a difficult interview, why would I assume you can deal with a difficult job, idiotic? You know, that's what politicians do. Why would I do it in business? It makes a ton of sense because you know it, it, everybody's everybody's great when when the wind's blowing and you're sailing down you know downstream. Mm-hmm. It's it's when you're against the wind and you have to row. That's when you really need to find uh, your team to come into work and really pull you out of that. So what I hear you saying is that there are there are learners yeah. and there are there are blamers. Uh, people that you know, they might say, well, this was a horrible loss and I blame it all on somebody else and. Uh, you exactly. know, that you're going to find out if they take responsibility for something that happened. Um, that That's fascinating information. Now, there's a huge number of baby boomer business owners who are transitioning their leadership in the next few years, and that might be mm-hmm. to insiders, to, to managers or employees or even uh, family members that they uh, they have already in their purvey, or they might be looking for that outside leader to come in. And so these kind of skills will be fantastic. What happens when when the owner has already chosen their successor manager from inside, and and you come in and say that person's not going to work, and and they're mm-hmm. are they in denial or what kind of training or what what happens in a situation like that because i see that a lot you, you know you walk in and they say well this person i want them to take over and you interview them and you go you're going to have a problem here what do you do yeah yeah uh, that, that's a great point bill I, i've been in that situation many many times uh, and raises a, ra- a real good point uh, uh i tell someone uh, when i walk in and assess the the person who's going to succeed them and I just, I just tell the person who owns the company right then, you've made a colossal mistake. And here are the one, two, three, four reasons for it. And if you go down that path, this guy could put you out of business. Now, you would think that anybody doing an assessment would tell a CEO that. One out of 100 does. And I'm usually that guy. So one thing you know, that owners need to look at is who you're bringing in as an advisor. Most advisors are sophisticated ass-kissers, and they just don't want to lose the gig. So they don't level with the client. They just move, you know, it's the old thing about moving the chairs around the Titanic. That's all they do. And the big Mm -hmm. consulting firms make millions doing that. You know, they just try to tell you in a nice way you screwed up. Well, I'm not there to tell you in a nice way. Because if I tell you in a nice way, you're going to ignore the input. Right? So mm-hmm. I want to see how this CEO takes the news. He's not going to like it. That's a given. But the issue is, does he learn from it? And does he say, you know, I don't like what you're telling me, 
but uh, I understand the reasons and I understand your point of view. So a key issue for the amount of people transitioning out of businesses now is get yourself an honest advisor. Because if you don't, they'll go down. They'll help you take company down. Oh, and and it's difficult. I'm dealing with a company now that's transitioning from the leadership, the 80-year-old founder, who is sharp as a tack, and he's transitioning the business to his uh, middle son. Uh, and we, we have gone through a lot because when I first arrived there, those two guys were not talking to each other. Uh, and that's fairly typical family businesses. You know, they did uh, uh, just cursory talking around practical issues. But they never really talked to each other. There was a lot of unsaid stuff in there. And, and one thing maybe important to your listeners is every business owner is disappointed in one or more of his children. It's a given. Take it to the bank. Right? And if they don't get that disappointment out on the table, uh, then the transition will be a disaster. That's why so many family businesses struggle and fail. Right? Because every entrepreneur, every founder is disappointed in one or more of his children. And it isn't because they're bad people. because they're not him. So he'd mm-hmm. like them to be like him. So he's disappointed. As soon as I get the disappointments out on the table, the transition goes smoother. It's not now, rocket what, science. No, it's it's not. And you're right. I mean, it's it's amazing to me that a lot of times the the owner doesn't even trust the son or the daughter to drive their nice car <laughs> yet, mm-hmm. and yet, mm-hmm. and yet they're mm-hmm. talking about we're gonna we're gonna we're going to put the business in their hands. And, and that is really the owner's retirement plan is I'm going to put the business into their hands. Now, you see a lot right. of situations where it's frustrating for the, the employee or the child because the owner is driving one of those cars that the driver's ed guys drive with two steering wheels, right? Mm-hmm. I'll sit in the passenger mm-hmm. seat, but I'm going to grab this steering wheel as soon as you start to veer off the road a little bit. Um, there's a transition point where it's very awkward right. for for everybody in a situation like that. Um, what advice mm-hmm. would you give to an owner who's who's considering, you know, choosing their their leader, especially if it's m- multiple candidates within their business? Um, and mm-hmm. obviously, there, there's going to be some difficult decisions to make. On what do they make their decision for it to be successful? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, number one, to realize that business transitions are simply deep and protracted grieving processes. That's all they are. This has very little to do with practical or tactical business. Every time a business is transitioned from one uh, owner, say, to a, uh, a child or an associate, there's deep grief in there for everybody, but particularly for the owner stepping back from that. And that's where you start helping that owner literally go through the grieving process. You look at their denial, which is the first stage. Then you help deal with their anger. They're very angry about giving up this business, even though it may be the best thing in the world for them to do. Then they go into bargaining. How do we mitigate the damage? Then they're depressed, and they say everything sucks. You know, this is not what I want to happen. And then finally they move to acceptance of the transition. 
And acceptance means identifying the option that sucks the least. Right? And mm-hmm. that's the that's the process that every business owner goes through who's moving back from his business. Absolutely guaranteed. Uh, and most business consultants are clueless about that, and they think it's an intellectual process uh, that people go through. There's nothing intellectual about giving up your business. It's a gut-wrenching, uh, emotional process, and very few business owners get that counseling during that process, you know, get that input. But that that's what's in, involved in it. Right? Uh, and then you need to do the same thing with the person taking over the business, is what are your what are your real feelings, particularly for every kid that takes over his or her father's business is very critical of the way it was run in many respects. I, and that needs to get out on the table. If they hide that, they just get ang- they just stay angry and cynical. So all a, the, yeah. the untalked about stuff needs to be talked about. Essentially, what I'm saying. It's a lot of it's a lot of information um, and a lot of like you said emotion uh, and mm-hmm. of course of course the younger generation uh, you know I've I've been in situations like that where the younger generation thought they had the next great idea but they've never in some situations they had not been yeah. through a tough a tough cycle yeah there and again that's where right. like you say that's where the the mm-hmm. the battle is is either won or lost when it when uh, when it moves into a tough cycle, that's really where it gets difficult to um, to, right. to run and manage right. and grow a business, and that's where they fall yeah. apart. Now, now in, in a situation where uh, you have an, an owner and they don't have any outside interest outside of the business, um, do you find that 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 makes it more difficult for them if they don't know what they're going to say retire to or move on to? Does it make it that much more difficult than if they have outside interests developed and they really have developed a sense of the purpose of their life after business? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, a great point. Uh, and for um, for a number of reasons. Uh, uh, number one, uh, uh, get rid of this notion, all business owners, get rid of this notion that they need hobbies. Hobbies is an industrial revolution concept. I don't have any hobbies. I've never had any hobbies. My clients don't have hobbies. They love their business. They love doing business. You know what they love about it? They make impact on people. The question I ask CEOs when they're about to retire from a business is, where's the next area of your life where you want to make impact? If you don't make impact, you literally start to die, physically and emotionally. We live for impact. We're an impact-driven species. So the question isn't, do you like golf or do you like sailing or whatever? Uh, I've dealt with a lot of people who made more money from selling a business than they could ever spend. So they started out doing what I call frou-frou things in their life. They get tired of it in three to six months, and they look to start another business somewhere. They live for impact. And it doesn't necessarily even have to do a business. It can be a charitable uh, organization, but they've got to feel like they're making an impact. That's where a lot of business owners don't get good advice. You know, someone it just talks to them about silly stuff. But the real mm-hmm. issue is where do you want to make impact next? And most business owners don't think 
that they have transferable skills. It's fascinating how many men and women I've talked to where I say, where else could you use these skills? They say, wow, there's nowhere else. I just know the printing business or I just know the car business. And I say, no, no, you don't get it. You're good. You've been successful because you have a number of transferable skills, but no one's ever helped you identify what those are. So you think there's only one thing you can do. And it's it's a shame. It, it really uh, uh, is too bad that too many very, very talented business owners don't understand the transferability of their skills to a whole bunch of ventures. Well, th- th- that's something they need to know and they need to get some good advice on. That's that's fascinating, and I love the way you put that. Is uh, it's really identifying where's the next area of your life where you want to make impact. Where's not right. just what you know. How are you going to fill up your time in and around the house? Because that's not what drives mm-hmm. these individuals. Um, now, in a, in right. some situations, you know, um, a business owner trans is transitioning out, and they're letting management take over. And let's say they have let go of that second wheel, uh, things can change mm-hmm. in a hurry. And, and sometimes business owners can come back to a business without now recognizing what they left in a very short period of time because so many things have changed. How important is it mm-hmm. for a transitioning owner or maybe someone who's going to be an absentee owner to understand and identify the key performance indicators of that, the dashboard indicators of that business so they can kind of keep tabs on it until they're completely out? Well, yeah, I think it's real important to know what what essentially is going on that works and, and, and how to measure that for sure. But, but you raise an interesting point. Uh, other than making sure that the business is, is uh, going ahead in a positive direction, and it's going to meet their financial needs, they need to cut all other ties, right? And that's very hard for them to do. When you leave a business, you leave a business. Hanging around, coming in, looking around, talking with people is just a form of harassment. And that's how it's experienced by the new leader. So, you know, make sure you have you get data that you need and that reassures you the business is being run well in terms of, of result, practical results, and then that's it. You cut your ties entirely. Uh, and people who don't go through the grieving process hang in there trying to control things indirectly, and they just become a pain in the ass to the new people running the company. And, and understand that as soon as a new person takes over the helm of a company, Guess what the first thing is that they find out? Everything the original owner did wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? That That's the very first thing. And uh, that's what they need to get out on the table with their management team. These things were not done the way I think they ought to be done. So our first initiative is to make these kind of changes. And the person needs to say to a management team, I'm not bringing up this, these issues to criticize my father, make him look like a bad guy. I'm just saying, under my leadership, we need to do things differently in these three, four, five areas. So I just want to be clear about that. Uh, and, and, again, it's not to make someone into a bad guy. But that's the first thing they're going to notice is, from their perspective, everything was done wrong. 
And, mm-hmm. and yeah. so the yeah. old owner is still hanging around, then he feels like people are turning him into a boogeyman. So, so he needs to be gone, really gone. And that's well, hard and to do. Yeah, and you're going to have the the key employees who have been there maybe even as long as the owner was that probably should be thinking about their retirement as well. But they're the old guard, you know, hold the right. hold the line kind of old guard. That's got to go too, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and a lot of the old timers are uh, have been performing media mediocrely for a while. Mm-hmm. No, and nobody and the and the owner, original owner, founder. Uh, it doesn't confront them, so they leave it to the new person coming in to, to have to confront some very tough issues, you know, like a guy who helped build a business, been there 35, 40 years, and is now making zero contribution to the organization. So that 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 has to be dealt with. You know, hard, hard to do. So, so we're in, in in an age when they're calling it the the age of the brain drain. I don't know if you've heard that terminology, but it means that mm-hmm. the ba- the baby boomers are reaching retirement in record numbers. Ten thousand a day turn age sixty five, uh, and or and fifty mm-hmm. and fifty five too. So it's a huge number of milestone birthdays that are happening. People are really starting to think about leaving companies, but not all not all key employees have done a good job at setting themselves up for retirement. Um, and mm-hmm. there's also another phenomenon, and that is most of the key employees that are in those age brackets have been around, let's say, in an engineering firm. They were around before computers, and they they mm-hmm. know what to do if the power goes out. <laughs> let's just put it that way. Where a lot of the younger right. workers, if the power goes mm-hmm. out, they're like, I guess we go home. So how important is mentorship mm-hmm. to uh, and uh, helping um employees that normally would have been considered at retirement age, which of course 65 isn't that old these days to, to ease out and to, to slow down to a productive jog and mentor some of these younger employees. How important is that today? Yeah. Great point. Uh, It's very important. Uh, uh, You know, a couple of reactions to that. Uh, uh, Understand that in, in today's uh, culture, the problem is not young, bright people who don't understand business. The problem is young, bright people who have been raised to be comfortable in a culture of entitlement. So they re- they get very little feedback in how disappointing they can be uh, because that isn't those are not the families they, they grew up in. So they need to start getting a lot of feedback. Secondly, uh, mentorship is different than coaching. Uh, uh, mentoring people means you teach them uh, essentially what are the politics of this organization and how do you survive and grow in it. You know, valuable information. That's mentoring people. Coaching is this. these are the things about you as a person that you need to work on changing. So many, many companies do a good job of mentorship, which is practical, often technical stuff, and a terrible job of coaching so that they have people coming up the ranks who have never been told that, for example, they don't listen. They don't know how to listen to people. Listening is a lost skill in America now, uh, but it's particularly lost in a lot of small to medium-sized businesses. Or that, uh, you, you know, you are really a dominating. In any meeting, you try to dominate the meeting and no one else can get a word in edgewise. Are you aware that you do that? 
So you have to differentiate coaching from mentoring. And then you've got to raise Johnny and Janie at work. You know, one of the things my clients are really pissed off about is that they have bright young people who they'd love to groom to take over the company at some point, certainly going in executive management. Uh, and they act like adolescents, like children. You know, you know, one of the points I made in my first book was that uh, all uh, human development has been pushed back at least 10 years by technology, affluence, and education, which has slowed down life experience. The problem with a lot of our young people now is they've had minimal life experience. So adolescence in America occurs now between 20 and 30, not between 13 and 19. So you get a 25-year-old whiz kid, he or she functions like a 15-year-old. And you've got to understand, you are raising young people at work. I don't care if they went to Harvard, have a Yale MBA, they are still retarded in their development. And I see it all the time in, in the workplace. And a lot of managers, senior managers, get really angry about it. Like, you know, I come to work every day and I feel like a babysitter. You know, right. I say, no kidding. You are. Right? <laughs> and un- yeah. And understand, we're going to help you become a good babysitter. Right? But if you're so pissed off about having to babysit these whiz kids, then you need to go somewhere else because you're not going to do a good job of, of coaching them. But it's a very different culture. Uh, personal development is a very different ballgame. I mean, my CEO is like, probably a week doesn't go by before a business owner telling me, uh, uh, when is my son going to grow up? He's 27. Mm-hmm. He still lives with us. He can't seem to hold a job for a long time. He's got no relationships. Uh, I, when is this kid going to get it? And I say between about 30 and 35. So mm-hmm. don't hold your breath. Mm-hmm. No, uh, young people now don't get, you know, first birth age in in the middle, upper middle class population is now 30 years old. We never saw that before. That's when people start having kids. Mm-hmm. So their children, you know, they're like teenagers before then. And, you know, it, it's very frustrating for business owners to deal with that. They don't get it. That in itself is is a fascinating topic. Now that was that that was in working without a net. Was that yeah? In that that's book? working without a net. Yeah, yeah. I introduced that notion to the business community in that book. Yeah, I, I yeah. would. That is an aha moment. Um, and you just you you said a tremendous amount of of um, knowledge in that area that explains a lot to a lot of people. So working without a net that's available net. on Amazon. Amazon. And, mm-hmm. and then you also yeah, wrote a – yeah, tell, tell us a little bit yeah, more about that book. Yeah, no, I just want to add one thing to that because a lot of people, when I lecture, hear that point and they say, well, God, that makes a lot of sense, so what do I practically do with that information? Here's, here's what you do. When you get a group of mid-20s employees together uh, to talk to them about uh, what they need to be doing differently – Every interaction is a one-issue interaction, number one. You never sit down with mid-20s people with a list of 10 things they need to fix because after the first one, you're talking to yourself. 
they have checked out. Right? So no multi-issue conversations with, with young people now. They, they, they just don't, don't listen, uh, and they have an attention span of a flea. So you, you, you're not going to get a whole lot uh, across. So it's absolutely one issue. Uh, and number two, you have them feed back to you. What did you just hear me say to you? Because you'll be blown away by what they heard as opposed to what you said. Mm-hmm. So you always, with, with that group, say, just tell me what you heard me heard me say. And the third thing is... Uh, uh, are you? How do you feel about doing what I just said you need to do? Because right? if you just say, what do you think about this? You're going to get a nonsense answer. These are not intellectual issues. These are gut-level issues. And if I ask you to change something that's harming the business, I want to know how you feel about it. Because if it doesn't feel right to you, you ain't going to do it. You know, you'll just figure out, you'll figure out 100 ways around trying to do it. So literally changes the way you interact with your younger people. And that's all in working without a net. Fascinating. That's fascinating information, and I think uh, very valuable for most of our listeners. Then then the second book was Fifth Wave Leadership, also available on Amazon. Um, What's the gist of Fifth Wave Leadership? Uh, The gist of Fifth Wave Leadership uh, is – the role that the familiar plays uh, in people's success and failure. Okay? So what, what that book says essentially is, uh, here's what the familiar is. The familiar is the drive to reproduce the feelings you had earliest in life. And if you don't know what it is, you'll automatically keep reproducing it. And it's not action. It's the feelings that you're left with after the action takes place. So, For example, if you grew up in a family where your father or mother or both were never, ever satisfied with what you did, they were always disappointed in you, your life will be about making sure that the people around you are always disappointed in you. And you won't sit down in the morning and rationally figure this out. You'll automatically do it. So, you know, if you you were an athlete in high school, and you scored a touchdown, and the first thing your dad said was, good run for a short kid, then that feeling left you like, what do I have to do to please this guy? Well, he's never pleased. Or you get, you know, three A's and a B, and your mother says, what the hell's the, the story with the B? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you, know, you know, that that kind of stuff, it's life-shaping. And I can't tell you how many business owners I've dealt with who spend their whole life uh, trying to figure out how not to be disappointing, but always making sure they are, okay, to their direct reports, to their spouse, to their friends. Uh, and if you don't know what familiar is, you're on autopilot your whole life. And it's a destructive autopilot, fly you right into the side of a mountain. So fifth wave leadership, it takes the reader through a whole series of very practical examples of how this plays out in people's lives and then how to start changing your familiars. Because understand the familiar is the strongest drive in life, even greater than the drive to live, to succeed. You know, this is why, you know, when you see on the news that 
uh, a person lives with a, uh, a spouse who beats them all the time, and this is the 13th time they've been beaten, you know, what's the first question you have? Why are, why are you there? still Yeah, why are you still there? Yeah, yeah. Why, why, why are you still there? Or people tell me, come up to me and say, boy, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here to work with this company because it's been a loony bin as long as I've been here. I say, really? Mm. Well, how long have you worked here? Oh, I've been here 20 years. It's been terrible. Well, that's interesting. What kept you here <laughs> for 20 years? You know, you must love to suffer. And that's what we see in business a lot. And that takes us back around to the uh, to what you said earlier on the the only you know the true uh, uh, I believe you said the the true risk is telling the truth and being honest and making the changes that need to be made um, in spite of the fact that it's going to be very uncomfortable for you and maybe others. Right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If, yeah, if people listening to this need to change one thing or look at one thing, it would be a question. Do you tell the people closest to you the absolute truth 100% of the time? You know, that, that will change your business more than anything else and ultimately change your life. Particularly if you're selling a business, leaving, starting something new, and you don't tell people the truth, you're going to be very unhappy the rest of your life. Maury, it's it's fascinating yeah. to talk with you. I'm so glad that we extended this interview and, and got uh, even more information from you today. Uh, again, it's it's Maury Sheckman from Fifth Wave Leadership. And what you know, you, you obviously you give uh, compelling speeches, keynotes. Uh, besides mm-hmm. being a, a noted author, um, how often do you get out and speak to groups, and what what uh, kind of feedback do you get? Uh, I, I, a couple of times a month, I do keynotes uh, to professional groups, professional organizations, or companies that have an annual meeting or quarterly meeting. And I get uh, a great feedback from the vast majority of people. And then a small number of people are just really pissed off, you know, that they don't want to hear this. It's not about them. It's about everything else. So it's, uh, it, you know, I think with most people uh, who give talks, you get a split in terms of the reaction. I, I don't get many people having a neutral reaction. I'm not a neutral guy. So, mm-hmm. and, and that, that's fine with me. Um, so I do the talks, get a, get a, you know, a profound reaction because I'm, I'm talking about stuff that in one sense is common sense. And I, I take that as a compliment. No, uh, but I put it in a way that business people can hear it. And the rest of my work is really ongoing work with uh, corporations, with businesses, small to medium-sized businesses, you know, where I come in and work with the CEO and the management team. And that's the, that's the fun work. That's what I like the most about what I do. You know, I, I'm a problem solver. I'm not a theoretician. You know, I, I, I did my – I'm a recovering academic. I did my five years at university. And that was, uh, I love teaching, but uh, there's zero accountability at the university. It is the most accountable institution in America right now. So I, I like uh, on-the-job work. 
So if, if a listener wants to hire you to be a keynote speaker or to talk to you about mm-hmm. coming in and, and helping to uh, to manage change in their organization, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, go to the website, uh, fifthwaveleadership.com, uh, F-I-F-T-H, uh, Fifth Wave. Uh, and there's, you know, then you can see right on there how to contact me for either lecture or ongoing consulting, or just send me an email directly, Maury, M-O-R-R-I-E, dot Schechtman. Make sure it's S-H-E-C-H-T-M-A-N. If it's S-C-H, you won't get to me. There's a guy, you'll get to a guy in Milwaukee. Uh, at uh, at uh, uh, gmail.com. Okay, so that's maury.schechtman at gmail.com or fifthwaveleadership.com. Obviously mm-hmm. someone who uh, can help you to to uh, create uh, and, and have a, a, a meaningful meeting or to take your company in a new direction and won't pull the punches when it's time to talk about change and what you need to hear. Uh, Maury... Thank you so much Bye. for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, you're welcome back anytime. And uh, we look forward yeah. to the next time that we speak. Okay. Well, thanks for talking with me. I appreciate it. We're okay, going to take, take a short. Care, Bill. All right. Take care, Maury. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after this. So please stay with us. ExitCoachRadio.com, the information station for age 50-plus business owners, where we're interviewing top advisors for their best tips, ideas, and precautions so you can be well-planned. We upload new one-minute tips every day. ExitCoachRadio.com. Come listen for a minute. Business owners, if you came back from lunch and there was a resignation letter on your desk, which employee would you really, really not want it to be from? What are you doing to prevent this from happening? At Exit and Retirement Strategies, we design plans that attract, motivate, and retain key employees. For a free consultation, call Bill Black, the Exit Coach, at 866-370-3774. Call today. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 